All right, I know that you've heard them and you've probably even said them. But today, my fellow warrior, all that ends because I'm about to throw down on some of those regurgitated old school tactical mantras that really have no place coming out of the mouth of the modern day protector. Let's get started. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey there, what's up, Warrior? It is Jeff Anderson from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 373. Look, just like my keep honking, I'm reloading bumper sticker, we all know that the person with the coolest Trump t-shirt and the longest military contractor beard and the camouflage man purse is obviously the most tactical guru in the room, right? But there's one characteristic above all that is the real proof that it takes more than just a big gun to really claim a spot among those tactically elite. Yes, it is the ability to quote the most prominent combat quotes that are floating around the shooting ranges, the testosterone-filled gun counters, the ninja schools in our warrior universe, and of course on the, the Facebooks. You gotta, gotta find them there. <laughs> but, but let me ask you this. Does anyone really stop to think about these affirmations and what they really mean, or if they're even true? I'm here to tell you folks, words matter. Words matter. What you tell yourself matters. And not to get all woo-woo-y on you here, but if you repeat these common statements enough, thinking that they must be true if so many other tactical guys out there are spouting them off, then I'm afraid you may be in for a rude awakening. So, what famous quotes am I referring to? Well, I have five of them all lined up for you in this episode, and I'm challenging you now to open your mind to actually reversing your own thought patterns and adopting a whole new outlook on your self-protection strategies. Now, I'm gonna let you consider this your amnesty period, and don't worry if you've said any of these in the past. I can say that because I'm pretty sure that I may have let a few of these slip myself, but the past is the past, and I think it's time that we let these five tactical mantras die and put some fresh realities in their place. And the first one I have teed up for you here is a common one that people talk about in the combatives world, and that is expect to get cut in a knife fight. All right, so there are actually two roads I can take with this one. So first, there's the knife fight where you're unarmed and you're ambushed by an attacker with a knife, like a like it's a, a robbery at knife point. So for this scenario, I'm never going to tell you that there's some fancy Israeli commando knife disarm move that you're going to be able to pluck that pig sticker out of some gangbanger's hand without you spilling a drop of blood. I've seen knife fights, and they're not like the movies. They are brutal, they are messy, they are extremely horrific, and if it's a real attack, most likely what you're going to see is that one or more people are going to get stabbed 20, 30, or more times because they're trying to either fight back or disarm the knife, and meanwhile, that knife just keeps getting flung all over the place. Now, they might just even be superficial cuts that are just defensive wounds, like somebody puts up their arm and then and they get slashed on the arm. But nonetheless, there's going to be blood and there's going to be a lot of different cuts, a lot of stab wounds. And if you're in a situation where you don't have a gun and all you have is a knife and you have to fight this person, there's really only one thing that you can do, and that's to gain the offense in the most brutal, horrific manner that you can possibly think of. 
in which process you may get cut, even if it's by accident as your attacker is trying to fend you off. The problem that I have with this common saying is that you don't want to mentally expect to get cut. In my mind, when it comes to any combative skill, you don't want to expect anything bad to happen to you because expecting that to happen causes hesitation because you can't mentally commit. I'm going to say that again. You can't commit to both offense and defense at the same time if you want to survive. So the guy who thinks about not getting cut is the one that you're going to see dancing around. Their knives are out. It's like a scene from West Side Story. Everybody's looking for their in. And I know you've seen this before. Like I've seen this happen before in like what was what what could have been a knife fight was really just a couple of guys dancing around with a knife and somebody might take a slash here and there, but really they're keeping out of arm's length. So if you really want to see a knife fight, go ahead and just go to the YouTubes and watch a prison stabbing that's caught on video and you'll see what a committed criminal who lives by the blade really knows how to fight with a knife because he learned it in how to survive. So you don't think about getting cut. You only focus on going all out ballistic on your enemy, poking as many holes as you can, as fast as you possibly can. Don't expect anything. Don't even think about it. If you're truly about to be in a knife fight, it's either you commit to either getting the hell out of there and run as fast as you can, which is a perfectly acceptable response, or if you can't get away, you're going to rip his face off, whether you have a knife or not. All right, which brings me to tactical mantra number two here, which is any reference to training to be a knife fighter, a gunfighter, a ground fighter, or any other type of specialized fighter. Any form of reference to specific strategies for specific weapons or specific fighting methods as like an individual skill set, all of this creates limitations or it isolates your training into separate skills. Now, I get it. Like getting accurate shots on target is a lot different than getting someone into an arm bar on the ground. Different tools, different training. I get it. But you don't want to be any one thing or isolate your training to one specific method of self-protection. Real attacks are dynamic and they can change in an instant. So you may be carrying a concealed handgun and you have your combat folder in your pocket as a backup. And then you get ambushed without warning from some meth head with a baseball bat who's hiding behind a vehicle in a parking lot. So the bat knocks you on the ground, but it doesn't knock you out. Now he's trying to go through your pockets and you fight back from the ground as a ground fighter. But maybe you can't reach your gun because now he's wrestling around with you, but you get a chance to go for your knife. And then the fight goes on from there. Anything can happen in a real fight. So any sort of specialized training is going to be a detriment to you because you need to be skilled in everything that can possibly happen in a fight. So the real fix here is that you don't want to be a knife fighter or a gun fighter or a grappler or a ground fighter. You just need to be a fighter. Now, I realize that this sounds like there's a lot of specialized training that that you really have to go out there and find in order to be fully trained for all of these things that can happen in a real gunfight. But this is where these different fighting systems really stray away because to really be a specialized fighter in any one of these areas requires a lot of training, a lot of specialized training. And there are probably only a handful of guys in the entire world 
who trained that much to be an ordained fighter in any one of these areas. Now, if you look at the like the real experts in these areas, and I'm thinking of guys like Scott Babb in knife fighting or uh, Craig Douglas is, you know, is really well known for vehicle defense. I mean, this is just naming a few of them. These are guys who they really found their specialty and they mastered it. And, and they mastered it with thousands of hours of intense training, pressure testing, you name it, in order to be able to train others out there. But they're also going to be the first to tell you that there are other areas that maybe they're not as skilled at. Like that's their specialty because they've trained so much in it. They do have skills in other areas, but it's the mindset that these isolated terms and tactical references create that can isolate the mind into thinking that you've got to be a full expert in one specific area or that it's going to, you're going to have to train a lot to be able to cover yourself. You don't have to. I like to go by the 80-20 rule. You don't need to be a knife, fit, knife, uh, knife fighter, a gun fighter, a ground fighter. You need to be all of those as a fighter. The tool doesn't matter. Let me say it again. The tool does not matter. The real fighter is able to put a knife in your hand and fight back, is be able to get to your gun and fight back, to have your gun with you. And as, it's, as you're grappling, as this person is grappling you to take it away from you, you need to be able to fight through that. So you need to be skilled in all of these areas, but the 80-20 rule can really save you here. This is one of the reasons why in the new uh, Warrior Life Academy, the online training center that we just set up, and we just got a, a limited number of founding members in there right now, we've developed this, this 9 by 5 training model, which basically gives you the most critical skills in all of these. So how to fight with a knife, how to disarm a knife, how to fight with your gun, how to shoot your gun, how to fight on the ground. These are all things that are specific skill sets that you do need to have, but you don't need to be a ground fighter or a knife fighter to be able to defend yourself. Okay, let me go ahead and uh, go on to number three here, which is train like you fight because you will fight like you train. Now, this is often tagged on to like realistic type training that's out there, especially when it goes to things like hand-to-hand combatives. But I'm going to say right now, nope, you can't. You can't train like you fight thinking that you're going to fight like you train. In fact, it's one of my biggest frustrations with my own search for realistic hand-to-hand combatives training. So my last stint with formal instruction before I moved to Florida was with private classes with my longtime Krav Maga instructor. Now, he was highly skilled. He was in great shape, way better shape than I was, way more skilled than I was. That's why I made him my instructor. And he used to run in a gang in New Mexico, in an area where I, I mean, actually, like I was in New Mexico, I did security in New Mexico, and I know the gangs out there. I've run into the gangs out there. I've dealt with the gangs out there. So he was no stranger to violence. Now, I liked the workout, and he could literally mop the floor up with me. Our sessions were pretty much just me trying to trying to get my breath, not heave my cookies all over the mat, and and he would always take me down to the ground. He'd get on top of me, or he, and he, he would just sit there and taunt me as he'd start to take my oxygen away from me. But the entire time I was fighting back, I was keenly aware of all the targets that were available to me that I would never use on him. He would even tell me that I could. Like I was telling him, like, like I could have used, I could have taken your eyes. He said, go ahead and do it. I'm not, he's not stopping you. He would laugh. He's like, go ahead. I'm not stopping you from using any of those. I couldn't do it because I knew that I could do it. 
I really would have hurt him. There were so many positions he had me in where I eventually had to tap out or pass out where I had clear shots to claw his eyes or puncture his eardrums or rip his dick off or fish hook his mouth with both, with both thumbs. I could, there were so many things I could do to at least gain some space to get to my next move. I couldn't do it. Now, you can, you can do this yourself. You can watch any UFC fight that you watch on television, and you'll see so many obvious targets and strikes that they have wide open, wide open targets to hit. But they're against the rules. And the reason why it's against the rules to hit these areas or use these certain strikes is because these moves are considered too violent for sport fighting because they can do real permanent damage to somebody. Same thing goes for firearms training. There, there aren't too many firearm schools out there that will allow for full-on force-on-force ambush attacks the way that real attacks happen because these are shooting schools. The guys that go to these want to leave feeling confident and a few hundred points higher on their next testosterone level test at the doctors. They don't want to go away feeling fat, out of shape, and dejected because they had their ass, their ass handed to them, and they realize that real attacks aren't like the movies. So what's the fix for not being able to train like you fight? Well, there really isn't any that I know. I mean, the best I think you can do really is to get your ass handed to you by an instructor or or in sparring someplace or, or go ahead and find a good force-on-force firearms training option and, and get in the most realistic training that you can get, if not just for the experience. Because I can tell you, most people you'll ever have to fight won't have that level of experience unless they are a hardened criminal. Now, you still need to train to fight for those people. But get whatever training that you can and then look for those openings like I did so that you at least know where your options are to be brutal in fighting back. Now, another thing you can do, especially when it comes to, uh, well, solely when it comes to firearms, is to do more dry fire. Um, So think about it. Most gun ranges limit you to shooting at stationary targets at least a few arms length away with a stationary position. You can't move. There's no drawing of the weapon. There's no rapid fire. And you can get better training in your home using dry fire drills and actually learning the zones of your home than you can down at the, down at the, the local live fire range. So definitely get more dry fire training in at home because it is going to be better training. It is going to be more realistic, and it is going to be in your home, all right? Okay, fourth one here is to aim small, miss small. So this is one of those kind of like one of the most common accuracy quotes for shooters, and it's been parroted all over gun ranges, shooting classes, and even uh, Mel Gibson's character in The Patriot. You know, you hear that one a lot out there. And like everyone else, this is something that I also parroted because it makes sense, right? Don't just spray your bullets in the direction of center mass when you're firing your weapon at a target. Your shots are they're going to be all over the place if you're just praying and spraying. Instead, you want to aim small so that you're actually aiming at a very small point and your bullets will be in a much tighter shot group when you do this. Now, my last instructor, he kept keep he kept like working with me on my fundamentals down to trying to put my bullets through the exact same hole at different distances from the target. Um, so I, I get it. Like it really does matter aiming at a small target. But there are two problems that I have with the saying, aim small, miss small. So one, 
as was mentioned to me by the great and wondrous Colonel Dave Grossman, words do matter, and he prefers to switch on the words to aim small, hit small. And, and I can agree with that. If you have the time and distance to do so, you definitely want to aim small, and you want to program into your brain that you are going to hit small. Like I said, words really do matter. Missing small is not the same as hitting small. It might just seem like it's semantics to you, but in the mindset when it comes to real like training with your gun, you want to aim small, hit small. Again, if you have the time and distance to do so, which brings me to my second problem. Number two, in nearly all attacks you'd ever face with a handgun, you are not going to be aiming at shit. Now, look, I've pressure tested this time and time again in force-on-force training. And since most attacks happen in that bad breath zone because they happen as a result of an escalated argument or a criminal ambush attack, you are not going to have time to aim at anything. And even if you are able to get your gun pointed at your attacker, your brain is going to let you look at your sights. You are hardwired to look at your attacker because that's the threat. And your brain is hyper-fixed on that attacker's next move. That's, that's hardwired into your system. That's what kept us from getting eaten by saber-toothed tigers down at the tar pits. So the best thing I can think you can do is when you're looking at your target, at your attacker, is to look at something small. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be able to look at a button. You're not going to be that hyper-fixed on your attacker. But if you're looking center mass, train yourself to look at something that is on your attacker. Now, I do prefer the center mass zone, high center mass, because most likely you're if they're moving, they're going to be moving. But if you watch the shoulders, like the shoulders are going to move where the body is going to go. So the shoulders are going to, if there's somebody who's going to turn to the left and they're going to go, you're going to start to see the shoulders move that way. So that allows you to hit moving targets a lot better. But you want to aim for something as best you can up top. And they might not even have anything up there. But you still can aim with your eyes at a smaller spot on center mass, even if there's no specific target to pick out, because most likely you're not going to be doing that anyway. All right. Okay. I saved the best for last. Uh, Number five is the, the common saying, better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. Okay. Now, in theory, most of us would probably agree with this at face value. And look, it's, it's probably true. Yeah, it's absolutely true, I think. That hesitation, it, it can get you killed if you're in an attack. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes and, and even made my own mistakes in training where I wound up as like one of the training dead because I zigged when I should have zagged or I hesitated, one or the other. Um, but I can tell you that anyone who lives by this mantra of better judged by 12 than carried by six has never thought about that judged by 12 option. In reality, this line of thinking could literally ruin your life. And it could stick you in a prison cell. Um, It's going to leave your family bankrupt, just struggling to make ends meet. Um, Because that, that thing, like I'd rather be judged by 12 can remove the hesitation to actually pull in the trigger. And that, my friends, is going to be a really sad reality for you in a legal defense uh, shooting, even one where you feel you are 100% justified and you're really rolling the dice on whether 
you're going to be allowed to go free or not. If you make even just one small mistake in your decision about when to shoot, where to shoot, what you said on your 911 call, what you said or didn't say when the police showed up, what some bystander who maybe even didn't even see the attack get started, but somehow convinces the cops that they saw it all. Any of these could land you in the back of a police car, headed down to the station for fingerprinting until everything gets sorted out. Now, most likely, if there is any hint of a mistake, you're going to be offered a plea bargain by the district attorney who's going to scare the living shit out of you into taking it. Because the alternative is that you go to court convinced that you're going to convince jury of your peers that you're the good guy who was justified in shooting that poor, underprivileged father of three who was a victim of his abusive upbringing and was simply just trying to provide for his family when you caught him in your home after work. So that's that's a roll of dice, dice folks. I mean, keep in mind that the only exposure... These peers in that jury, that that 12 that you're going to be judged by, they've never had any exposure to violence other than what they see on the movie screen and in television, where, you know, John Wick plunks two bullets into the torso of a Russian mafia nug and his lifeless body instantly drops to the ground. So the 12 rounds that you put in your attacker because he kept coming at you is going to seem like you way overdid it with the trigger pulls. Oh, and let's not forget your we don't dial 911 doormat that's going to get shown in court also. It's not going to help you at all. So look, I, I know everyone likes to think that you're going to whip out your Master Blaster 5000. The good guy's going to go down. You're now the local hero on the 11 o'clock news, back when we just had 11 o'clock news. But it, it's not that easy. I know this is a hard pill for people to swallow. But if you think you're up for the task, let me challenge you. Go ahead and take our Shoot, Don't Shoot interactive video quiz over at warriorlifeready.com slash quiz and see how you score. There's three common scenarios there. And I think that even though they're common, they're things that really could happen to you, maybe even things that have popped up in your life before, I think you're going to find them a little bit more challenging than you think. And I know because I see the results and I can tell you that less than 30% of those who take the quiz actually pass with flying colors. That means that over 70% of you will likely make at least one choice that will land you either in a courtroom defending your actions or with a body tag on your toe down at the morgue. So you can go ahead and check it out over at warriorliferady.com slash quiz. And then when you're done, let me know how you did over on the blog where you see this podcast episode. I'd love to hear your honest, truthful feedback on it. And hey, as we're wrapping up, I want to give a quick shout out to Sizzle 24 who left us a five-star rating on our podcast and said, Top Notch. I've been a listener for many years. I learned something from every episode. I've also um, have been reinforced with ideas that I've had that were talked about. I appreciate the team and all they have presented because the information has made me a better protector, but also teach my, my children how to be prepared and aware of what's going on. Thank you. No, thank you, Jay Sizzle. <laughs> and hey, Folks, if you're loving our podcast, please go and leave us a five-star review and let us know what you think. Wherever you listen in, you can find us and subscribe to our channel on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast fix from. Plus, don't forget to go over and check us out on the YouTubes at youtube.com slash warrior. And be sure to subscribe and hit that little bell while you're there so you don't miss a single episode that we put out there. And until our next Warrior Life podcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. 
You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us and leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.